Awesome. Welcome to Mercy Hill. It's good to have you all with us today. If you have your Bible, you want to turn to John chapter 6. We'll be there in just a moment. But before we get there, I want to settle something. And not that there hasn't been enough division over the last year at all, but I'd like to settle something this morning. Okay, Over this last year, we, we experienced a lot of division, whether it be politics or COVID or whatever it might be. And uh, the thing that I'd like to settle isn't the argument between dogs and cats, although I know that that's like a big thing too, right? There's dog people and there's cat people. What I've realized recently is that there's salty snack people and there are sweet snack people. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so which one are you? Are you a, Who's a salty snack person? Because I'm a salty snack person. All right. Sweet snack people? Oh, man. Okay. How many of you, you just, you just want it all? Anybody? Okay. So, yeah, wow. Wow. Today we're preaching on gluttony. No, I'm just kidding. Sometimes I think I find myself hungry, but I'm not really hungry. You guys know what I'm talking about? Especially like as you're winding down in the night and you just put that Netflix show on and you go to the fridge and you open up the door and you're just staring into the abyss. You're like, you have no idea what you want, but you're just, or the pantry door, like just wide open. You're just kind of looking and you're like, yeah, I got nothing. Like you just, there's a hunger there, but you can't really put your finger on it. Like, you're not really hungry, but you're kind of, like, I just, we're, I'm just snacky. I'm just snacky sometimes. And it's tough to tell, though, if you're really hungry or not. Well, today we're going to be looking at some verses, and we're going to be talking about hunger. We're going to be talking about being satisfied. We're going to talk about that hunger and that yearning. And sometimes I think even in our spiritual life, we can't quite put our finger on it. We can't quite put the finger on the hunger. What's the source and What's going to satisfy? And I think today in our verses, we're going to see the answer this morning. So if you have your Bible and you are in John chapter 6, read along with me today. It's a lot of verses, and we're not going to be able to get to all of it today, but we're going to look at basically the major theme in it and some of Jesus' beautiful words to those that are listening. So John chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He, was, he said this to test him, for he knew he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each one of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There was a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. Also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, filling twelve baskets with fragments from the bar five barley loaves by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, Indeed, the pro th this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Verse 15, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Okay, so now 
there's the story, right? Feeds the 5,000 with the five barley loaves and the two fish. Let's jump down a little bit further in verse 22. It says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. And the other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, right? He says that a lot. Truly, truly, verily, verily, rightly, rightly, I say to you, this is true. You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has sent his seal. Then they said to him, what, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in this wilderness, as it is written. He gave uh, them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, there it is again. I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread from God, the bread of God, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Give us this bread always. Always. Verse 35. A lot of verses. Stay with me. Scripture is good. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you who have seen me yet do not believe, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Praise God. Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father... And mother, we know, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. He said that a few times now. It is written in the prophets, and they will be all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from God comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father Truly, truly, there it is again, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Keep going, 52. It says, the Jews then disputed amongst themselves. They fight amongst themselves a lot, don't they? 
how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, there it is again. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live, and I live because of the Father. Whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Let's pray before we do anything else. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit alive in your people. And so, God, today, I pray that your word and your Holy Spirit would change us. God, that if there are some in this room that have been trying to satisfy a hunger with earthly means, with fleshly pursuits, God, whatever it might be, Jesus, I pray today that you would bring transformation to that life and bring life eternal. God, that we would find ourselves in you, that we would partake of you, that we would feed on you and you alone. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text today, Jesus is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and there's a large crowd starting to follow him. It's almost as if Jesus is now starting to go viral, right, in our modern-day terms, right? He's gaining quite the audience. He's picking up traction. People are talking about him, and people are starting to know who he is. But a lot of them are looky-loos. I call them looky-loos. That's like an old term, isn't it? Looky-loos. They're just here to see the action. Like, you heard the phrase, nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd, right? So Jesus is gaining a crowd, and so now more people want to see what this man is up to. Because they saw the signs that he was doing. And these people weren't like the people back in chapter 2, verse 23, who believed in his name, who wanted to follow and obey after seeing the signs. These folks had a slightly different motivation, it seems. So Jesus goes up the mountain a bit, he goes with his disciples, and he sits down, and he can see the crowd coming. And as the crowd is coming, he looks at Philip, and he's got a test for Philip. John chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, he says, Lifting up his eyes and seeing the large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Like, you ever have a teacher who's done that before? Like, They're just like asking questions just to test you to see if you were paying attention. See if you understood what was going on around you. Or maybe you were like on your phone or doing something else. Okay, Jesus is testing Philip and he asks him, where are we going to get enough money? Where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? And Philip answers in verse 7, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for them to get a little. 200. So just so you know, a denarii was about a day's wage. Okay, one denarii one day. So 200 denarii, we're talking about 200 days worth of wages. Over a half year's worth of wages, he says, would not be enough for them to have a little. 
How many of you have hosted? How many of you like, like to play host and you've hosted a large group dinner? Like maybe host Thanksgiving at your house. You got all the extended family and friends over. It's not easy to host a large amount of people. It's expensive to host a large amount of people. I think that's why we do like potlucks and we ask people to bring like a side dish and things to pass. That's the only way. That's the only reason why. Because it's always a gamble, right? That's why here at Mercy Hill, like we really kind of shy away from the potluck because it's always like we call it a potluck. You hope you get lucky. Like, in the back of your mind, you're, like, reaching out to the family, and you're like, hey, if everybody could bring a dish to pass. But in the, in the back of your mind, you're hoping that Aunt Judy doesn't bring that gross tuna dish that she brought last time. Right? Because it's a gamble. But we got to save money because it's expensive to host and to feed a large amount of people. I shouldn't have said Aunt Judy because I have, like, three Aunt Judys. It's, like, way too specific. Philip knew that it would be very, very, very expensive to feed a crowd of this size. Over a half year's wages would not be enough to give them just a little. That phrasing, I keep pointing to that. Not enough to even give them a little. But Philip had no clue just how expensive it is to satisfy a hunger. Remember, Jesus is performing miracles And we talked about it a few weeks ago. These are not just called miracles, but if you look through the book of John, right, it's referred to time and time and time again as signs. It's not just a breaking of the law of nature, the impossible becoming possible because of the power of God, but they're called signs because these supernatural occurrences are pointing to something else. It's these Uh, they're called signs intentionally by the gospel writer because they're pointing to um, eternal realities, eternal truths that otherwise would be hard for us to put into words or to express or to understand. We have a hard time understanding the supernatural. We have a hard time understanding eternal realities, especially around desires and hungers and deep soul satisfaction. It's necessary for the power of God to break through our natural realm and multiply some barley loaves and some fish. Anybody got a Harley? Want to join? (laughs) Philip had no clue just how expensive it was going to be to feed a crowd like this. For the bread of life was going to give his life on Calvary, his body broken, his blood poured out so that their hunger would be satisfied, not just for a moment, not just a little bit, but that these hungry souls would be satisfied forever. Philip was on the right track, but his eyes were just a little too earthbound. So Jesus performs a sign. He performs a miracle, not just to amaze and and to fill this crowd with wonder, which it does, but a sign to point to something deeper, something, um, a reality so real and so lasting and eternal in nature. He tries to pinpoint their hunger with this beautiful, miraculous sign. Let's read verse 8 again in our text. It says, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, 
There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus took the loaves, and he had given thanks. He distributed to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. So I've heard this passage preached many, many times in my life. And I know oftentimes pastors like to point to the little boy. And, and the little boy in this story is precious, isn't he? Here he has his loaf, his, his lunch. He's got these five barley loaves. And people, most uh, scholars would point, they're probably like small, like little pita breads. Right? Enough for like making a sandwich. Okay? We have two fish. We got five little loaves. He's probably going to make his, it's his lunchable for the day kind of thing. And it's not much. It's like his lunch, but he offers it to the Savior of the world. And the little boy gave all he had, as meager as it was, as seemingly insignificant as it was. And Jesus did what? He gave thanks. He blessed it. And he gave thanks. And he used this boy's meager, seemingly insignificant, not enough offering and used it to illustrate himself. Not just meet a need, but to illustrate himself. Everything we are, everything I am, everything you are, everything we have, when we come face to face with Christ and we hand our lives over to him and we receive salvation by faith in him, everything we are gets flipped upside down. We were once living for us in our own pursuits. We were once living for our own glory, our own satisfaction in this life, pleasing ourselves. And when we come face to face with Christ, even the smallest, insignificant parts of us become his. And when we hand those things over to the Savior of the world, and he looks at it, and he blesses it, and he chooses to use it, not just to meet needs of fellow man, which he does. He uses your gifts. He uses your talents. He uses your resources. When you offer it back to him, he uses it to meet the needs of his church, but also to illustrate himself, to put the glory of Christ on display. What a beautiful example we hear we have here in this young man. Put what you have in the hands of the Son of God. Let him use it to illustrate his greatness. Let, it, let him use it to illustrate his soul-satisfying nature and his wonderful salvation. So Jesus uses this offering from this little boy and illustrates, him, illustrates himself. So us too, let's let God use everything we are and everything we have for the glory of his name. Oftentimes, when you're looking at the scriptures, we don't get the explanation of a parable. Jesus will just like speak in a parable and he'll just kind of let it sit there and everyone's like scratching their heads going, oh, I don't get it. And sometimes though, he gives the explanation. Sometimes he gives, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm illustrating about it. He gives you the spiritual truth behind it. Sometimes in his miracles, we don't fully understand it. But in our text today, when you jump down to verse 22, you see that he starts to explain what he just did with, these, with this bread and this fish. Verse 22, on the next day, okay, one day later, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. 
Verse 25, when they saw him on the other side, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. What an interesting phrase. Jesus, where did you come from? When did you get here? Truly, truly, I say to you, you're not seeking me because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. What an interesting response here. And actually, when I first read it, I didn't fully understand it. They saw the sign. They saw what Jesus just did. They saw the miracle of the five loaves and the two fish, and they ate of that sign. Their bellies were full. But somehow, some way, they didn't actually see what was happening. They didn't know what he was really doing. Jesus calls out their real motivations. You're not seeking me because you're seeking me, but you're seeking me because your bellies are full. There's a real warning here for each of us, for all of us churchgoers who claim to follow Christ. Jesus is checking their motivations. Why are you seeking me? Why are you following me? And it seems that their excitement Their excitement for Jesus wasn't because they saw who he really was, but they only saw what he could do. They didn't see who he truly was, but they only saw that he could fill their bellies with delicious bread and fish. Their infatuation with Christ was built on their own perceived usefulness of Christ, which is a dangerous thing. They're so excited about Jesus that they were going to take him by force and make him king, as it says in verse 15, right? When people of power, people of influence pr- promise free stuff, it's pretty popular, right? Politicians all the time. Student debt, we're going to wipe it away. Vote for me. Uh, free health care, we're going to vote for me, right? You start handing out free food, and all of a sudden people's like, let's make that guy king. Let's make that... Do you see how he just met our needs? Do you see how useful this guy is? Let's make that guy our king. Their infatuation and their drive to seek him, to follow him, was built on their own image of Christ and what he was able to do for them. I think this is a huge, 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 huge problem with our modern expressions of Christianity, especially here in America. Unfortunately, I think what we do really easily, and, and, and I hear it in churches all the time, we put us at the center of our Christianity. We put us at the center of our salvation. Instead of it being about the glory of Christ, it's about me and what it does for me. And now, please don't, don't mishear me. There are huge benefits. There are huge blessings when I hand my life over to Christ. I have peace and joy that is not circumstantial. When the storms of the world come, I have something that transcends all of that because I have Christ. But please, oh please, let's never make our salvation about us. It is about the glory of Jesus and his wonderful work. We've made our following dependent on his usefulness to our lives and what's in it for us. I think this is why we struggle with obeying the word of God, like truly obeying it wholeheartedly. It's because it's not always useful to us. It's not always useful to my life and the version of my life that I like. It actually gets in the way of what I really want. 
gets in the way of what I really desire, what I really hunger for, at least in my flesh. The church overwhelmingly, especially here in America, is very worldly, in my opinion. And we have trouble obeying the word of God, especially when it pushes up against my own, I'll just say it, idolatry. The things in my life that I love, the things in my life that are comfortable, the things in my life that I've like carved out for myself instead of handing it all over to Jesus. Here, Jesus, here's what I'm comfortable with giving you. This over here, I'm just going to kind of hold back to myself because I love it too much. Jesus and his word says a lot of things about a lot of things. And unfortunately, many times we disregard it. We ignore it. We just gloss over it. We hear it, but we don't hear it. We see it, but we don't see it. We hear it, but we're not doers. Jesus in his word says things about our money and our wealth and how to honor him in it. But that's not useful to my full belly and my full bank account. Jesus and his word says a lot of things about sexuality, about lust, about fornication, about sex outside of marriage, about homosexuality and what actually constitute real marriage. But that's not in vogue or useful in today's cultural narrative. Jesus' word, Jesus and his word says a lot about what faith and what following him looks like about dying to ourselves and living for his glory, about giving everything up for the glory of Christ, laying our lives at his feet as an offering to smolder and to burn with the fragrance of Christ, not belly-filling self-indulgence. But I have trouble yielding myself to his word. I have trouble yielding myself fully to him it's not useful to my full belly of comfort. My question for us today, church, are we following Jesus because of the blessings of bread or because he is truly the bread that brings eternal life? Are we following Jesus because of the things that he brings us, the things that he does, his usefulness to us, or are we following him because he alone brings salvation in life. And please hear me in this. I think, like, we think about the prosperity gospel, and I, I've said it before, we always think about that as, as just extravagance and opulence and, and private jets and hotel rooms and cars and all of this stuff and preachers with fancy suits and doing fancy things in front of fancy crowds. But there is a sneakier, smaller a prosperity gospel, when Jesus becomes the vehicle for my stuff, even the good stuff, even peace and joy. Like we talked about this uh, around Christmas time when we're looking at the, the Advent candles, right? And joy and peace and love and hope and all those things. It's not that Jesus just brings peace and joy and love and hope. He is my Prince of Peace, my joy, my love, and my hope. He is it. And so, don't, please, please, please fight the temptation to make Jesus a means to your end, whatever your end may be. Please fight the urge and the temptation to be fleshly and make Jesus a means to your full belly. But let him be the means 
and the end. He is the way to eternal life, and he is the bread of life himself. Is he merely the useful giver of bread, or, he is, or is he the bread of life? Let's continue reading. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, The work of God, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. It's so like us, right? What must we do? Just, okay, give me, give me the, give me, what, what, what is it that I got to do? What do I have to do? Give me the shortcut. Give me the answer. Give me the formula. What must I do? He goes, you know what you got to do? Got to believe. And believe for us is a weird thing because it's like all internal, right? It's like feelings and it's like heart status and it's whatever. But as we've looked at that word believing at the beginning of this book, believe is deeper than I think what most of us grasp. It's not just a mental ascent going, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. But there's an actual uh, piece of the Greek definition there for the word believe that means to cast your very life upon. Right? When you believe in Christ, that he is the one sent of the Father to live a sinless life that would become our righteousness, to die a perfect death that would be our atonement, to raise again that would be our hope of resurrection to eternal life. When he is all of that, we can rest in him, when he is all of that, we truly have hope. When we truly understand that and cast our life upon that, that is true believing. Verse 30 says, So they said to him, What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread to eat from heaven. If I'm Jesus in this situation, I'm a little annoyed at this point. If I'm Je- like, I just, I'm, I'm explaining everything I just did. Yesterday, I just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And you're going to ask me, what sign do you do? Were you not just paying attention? Did you not just see five loaves, two fish, 5,000 men? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 32, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus is saying, it was about me. It was all about me in the wilderness, Moses, bread, manna from heaven, all of the Old Testament to now, it's about me, my work to save and satisfy your souls forever. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Praise God. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. Praise God. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him 
should have eternal life. Believes in him, cast their life upon him, should have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. My question for us this morning is, are you hungry? Of course you are. It's almost lunch. We're all hungry. In our souls, we're all hungry. Have we been able to pinpoint that hunger? Are we sitting there in front of the pantry, wide open, going, oh, what am I craving right now? Stop trying to satisfy your hunger with the comforts of this world. None of it will satisfy, and all of it will lead to death. And please, oh please, stop using Jesus as the means to your end of a comfortable, full belly. He is the means and the end. He is everything. He is the way, the truth, the life, and he is the bread of life himself. And in our text today, he is saying, you must come to me and eat of me. You're going to see next, uh, over the next couple of weeks, he really threw these people off here. When he's saying, hey, you got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, he gave them no other explanation. And, and, and it says later on in the text that a lot of people left him that day. That's a hard teaching. What does he mean by that? Instead of using him to fill our bellies, let's partake of him wholeheartedly. Church people, partake of Jesus deeply. Partake of him deeply. None of this punching a clock on Sundays, punching a clock on Wednesdays, just putting in our time and, and living our comfortable life, but give him your entire existence and partake of him deeply today as true food, as true drink, as true life-giving nourishment. Verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. That was just a picture of me. They died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. I don't think it could be any more clear. And the bread that I will give for, my, for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, how can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living Father sent me. And I live because of the Father. Whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. We have the eternal word, as we read in John chapter 1, the eternal word of God who put on flesh and dwelt among us. He calls these followers, these quote-unquote followers, these who came to see the signs and to have their bellies filled by his miracles, he calls them to partake, to eat of him fully and deeply. And this was tough for the Jews to comprehend. For us, 
who have the completed story of the gospel and you see how Jesus so beautifully and graciously went to the cross and his body was broken and his blood was poured out and all of that, and all that that affords us, the eternal life that we have in the full work of Jesus for us. I look at that and I go, oh, how beautiful and precious is our Lord Jesus who broke his body and spilled his blood so that we might be satisfied to our very souls. And yet I still snack on this world at times. I want to partake of him deeply and fully. I want to partake of him my entire life handed over to him, believing truly in the one sent of the Father, the bread of life. As we conclude this morning, in a few minutes we're going to come to the table of the Lord. There's a table set up here in the front of the, uh, front of the I was going to say the room, but the tent here. There's a table set up at the back of the tent. In a moment, I'm going to have you guys go and grab elements. We're going to partake of communion together. And today in this place, before we do this, I want to encourage you, if you've been putting your hope in the things of this world, today you must repent. Today, do not find yourself, I hope you find yourself so dissatisfied with this world. That's one of the beautiful things in my, in my life when I come to that moment and I realize that I've been hoping in the things of this world and yet I feel so dissatisfied, I look at that and I go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you've shown me the worthlessness of this world, that it will never satisfy my hunger and it only leads to death. But the bread of life, the bread of heaven came down broke his body, spilled his blood, that if I were to partake of him, I will live forever. Praise be to God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. I have a couple of questions for you today. If you're in this room, if you're in this tent or maybe outside of the tent here, and maybe you've never put your faith in Christ. Maybe in the past, maybe there has been some religion. Maybe it's just been church going. Maybe it's just been punching a clock and appeasing our conscience with a good, encouraging sermon here and there. But you've never truly put your faith in Jesus. Today, I would implore you, put your faith in Christ. He is the only way to salvation. If you're in this place today and, 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 and that's you, you want to make that commitment, I just if you wouldn't mind, please just look up and catch my eye and acknowledge that. Make that acknowledgement before God and, and at least before me today. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Thank you. There's no magic words that I can say for you to make you right before God. Just you humbly come to him, confess your sins, and confess your need of him and say, Jesus, I trust you. I put my faith in you this morning, and God is faithful to save you do that this morning. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that have acknowledged their need for you, that they need to put their faith and their hope and their trust in you today. I pray that you would meet them by the power of your Holy Spirit right now and that you would save their souls, that they would have confirmation in their heart that you are abiding in them, and God, that they would do their best by the power of your Spirit to live to the glory of your name. Maybe you are a church person in this room. 
Maybe you've been full following Jesus, but my question for you today is, are you fully following him? Are you following his word? Or are you maybe caught up a little bit in his usefulness? Because he does this for me, because he brings this blessing in my life. And today you just, you want to shun that, you want to turn from that, and you want to just fully follow him and hand your life over and just full, like, I am following the bread of life. I hope that's you today. If there's some things in your life that you need to repent of, right now in your seat, repent. Fully follow Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you, God, that your work is full and sufficient and there is nothing that we can add to it. God, that you came down from heaven. You put on flesh. You dwelt among us to be our Savior if we would just believe. If we would just cast our life upon you just to trust in you and your work. God, our salvation is sure in you. You will not cast us out. Praise God. And so, God, today, I pray that we would have the full assurance of salvation because our salvation is found in you. As we come to your table in a moment, this sacred gathering, this sacred moment, God, we praise you that you shed your blood. We praise you that your body was broken that we might have eternal life and be your church. We thank you, Jesus. Be glorified in us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Right now from your seat, the band's going to start singing, and as they start singing, feel free to slip out of your seat and come up and grab the elements, uh, either at the back of the room or in the front of the room here, and hold on to them, and in a few moments, we'll partake together as a church. So feel free to slip out of your seat. The band's going to sing.